All information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. You should consider the appropriateness of this information with regards to your individual objectives, financial situation and needs. Welcome to Sharing More Than The Sheets, a podcast to help you and your partner make better financial and lifestyle decisions so that you can both focus on the things that you love. I'm your host, Michael Curry, financial planner, green thumb, husband, and just dad. Buying a house in any climate is always an interesting experience, um, whether it's a buyer's market or a seller's market or even a bit of both. And whether it's your first house, second, third, or fourth house, there are always so many elements to the whole process. Today, I'm joined by Mimo Tamer, who is a property expert in my eyes when it comes to acting on behalf of buyers um, or even on behalf of sellers. So I thought I would invite him with us today to talk about this topic and to be able to provide a bit of insight into things to look out for and things to avoid when buying a house. So Mimo, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Michael, and thank you for having me. It's um, a pretty, pretty interesting topic, isn't it? Because, I mean, how long have you been doing this for? If you can tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your, your background in property and, I guess, what you do every day for your clients. So, yeah, I'm a third-generation builder by trade. And what we actually found was we'd completed a house just after the GFC, actually. And the local agents in the area uh, were struggling to get us a genuine buyer at the price point. Uh, we found that the buyers coming through were over 100000 below the cost of the property that we'd completed. So I thought, why don't we come out and do something different, which was take the business model from construction and adapt a real estate arm to the construction side of the business. Uh, also, by doing that, I thought I'd engage a property manager, put the property um, for a six-month rental period, in that time, go out and study the real estate license. Once I completed it, then list the property. Um, during that time, while I was studying the real estate license, I started to learn a uh, little bit about marketing uh, techniques and tactics and different styles of business uh, models and how people engage with an agent and whatnot. Uh, I was able to then list the property while it was still tenanted and actually get it on the market for over 100,000 more than the best local agent in the Bayside uh, region at that time. Um, now, I did that just to save the business um, for the loss of the construction of that property. And I took that knowledge that I had and adapted it with other friends and family friends who were builders and property developers who said to me, you did such a great job. Can you market and sell some of our properties? So then I started going down the avenue of kind of like a property sales consultant or expert, alongside that a buyer's agent, alongside that a project marketing agent. So it became an all-around kind of sales guru, you could call it, for new homes. Uh, and it was a niche market that a lot of local agents, as you know, are salespeople. They don't have the construction and background knowledge of construction, a majority of them. You may find a few here and there. However, selling an existing property that is completed uh, in a local area, any agent can do that sale via a simple open home or an auction. However, my point of difference was explaining the uh, advantages with a new home as opposed to an existing home. Little simple things like that, for example, would be, uh, to give you an idea, um, with a new home, you can pick out 
all the finishes that you want, the colors that you like, the layout that you like to suit the block of land and maximize um, the return on your investment, whether it's for yourself to live in with your family home, if you want to put a pool in the future, whether it's something you want to get a bit of growth on, uh, whether it's something you're setting up as a self-managed super fund property. So having that experience in the construction side, adapting it with the real estate side, I was able that to then educate my clients on the pros and cons, buying new over buying existing. So that was the first part of the business. From there, I engaged a couple of inner city developers um, and some on the outskirts of the city that were doing uh, townhouses. So the townhouses uh, ranged all over the south side of Brisbane, and I was successfully able to um, use that same knowledge and business model that I'd used previously on the completed house in the Bayside region on the townhouses. From the townhouses, I ended up in the inner city of Brisbane CBD, where I was then selling brand new apartments, some under construction, some completed. Um, that's where I got the knowledge of the actual um, construction uh, side of the business, adapting it with the real estate, putting it together and presenting it to the client as a buyer's agent. The clients loved it because they now had a point of contact where you're not getting the bias advice from just a sales agent or the bias advice from a property developer or a builder. You're getting the knowledge from an experienced new home property guru who specialized in house and land, townhouses and apartments, giving the client the uh, the trust and the knowledge of um, my personal experience on how they would go about uh, purchasing their first home, their new home, their investment property, or their self-managed super fund property. To me, I, I like the fact that, again, similar to financial advice, that w when you sort of started doing that, the cl the focus of everything you were doing was the client. It was the person. Um, and you're trying to get the best possible outcome for the actual client. And I do like that because when you do talk to a real estate agent, with all respect to real estate agents, um, their job is to sell you that exact house um, that they have available to them or a, a house from the option of houses they have available to them. And their job is to sell it so that the seller of the house pays them a commission for them to sell the house, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with, and I know some amazing real estate agents that do an awesome job for the seller and the buyer. Um, but what I like about the way you got into it and, and what you do now as well is that your focus essentially is the client. And I mean, while you are limited, you're not very limited with the amount of options that you have access to and the amount of things you can do for that person. So yeah, and you know, and it's sort of I could see in in your voice that you've got that passion, and from talking to you over the years, you've got this passion for houses, whether it's existing or new house, you know, um, can you sort of, can we together highlight some of the options that some of, or some of the benefits I should say of using a buyer's agent or using someone like yourself compared to just doing it themselves? Because those that haven't bought a house before would just Google it or talk to their parents or friends. Um, and those that have bought a house before have sort of experienced it already. What would you say are the main benefits of using a buyer's agent compared to like a DIY option, doing it yourself? I'd have to agree with you, Michael. Most uh, real estate agents do a, an amazing job. Uh, they work very hard. They wake up early mornings and do open homes and um, you know the best do the best they possibly can, to be honest. However, unfortunately, as you know, um, sometimes it's nothing against the agent personally, but they're limited in the region or suburb that they work in to actually access stock. 
So that's the point of difference between a sales agent and a buyer's agent, where a sales agent is limited to their uh, the region that they're in. And if, if by their luck, there isn't many um, you know clients in the region that are looking to sell, they've got uh, access to a limited amount of stock, giving them limited options to their clients. However, when you're a buyer's agent, Michael, the difference is you've got access to everything. So you don't have one particular brand of agency you're going to be pushing that product to. You've got all local agents in the um, the region that your client is looking for. That's the first thing. Then you've got what we would call options. So you've got options with a buyer's agent where they've got access to off-market properties. They've got access to new properties. They've got access to um, you know properties that may have been listed in the past, didn't achieve the price they want. And uh, another thing which I find really, really helpful is the network a buyer's agent does have. So the network the buyer's agent has, for example, is uh, a variety of different agents that may tell you some inside info of properties that's up and coming or properties that had not reached a target price that they wanted. However, the agent was aware that should the client come in at this price point, which now being a buyer's agent, you've got that client, they'll be able to partner up your your buyer with their seller. That's the first thing. The other advantage you got with a buyer's agent is they're actually working for you. So their interest is what your interest is. They're not working for the selling agent or the selling um, person that owns the property. It's actually yourself. So one thing they'll do is look out for your interest, whether it's uh, small clauses in contracts. You know, I've seen stuff like uh, building and pest inspections uh, is one thing. That, that That's actually a really major thing that a lot of people as a first home buyer, and I've seen it happen many times, will go out and sign a contract, trusting the selling agent and just signing away. One thing a buyer's agent will do is go through those clauses, uh, especially someone like myself who's got that building background. So I'll go and inspect the property myself uh, first and I'll put myself in the client's position. So I'll I'll look at the property and look at the pros and cons. Uh, is this property in a good um you know, locational position to suit the client's requirements. If the clients have children, they want to be close to a, a school. Um, public transport is another thing. Um, parks, uh, that's one thing which I look at. Second thing I look at is for the future of that uh, property. So is there an opportunity where the potential buyer could end up subdividing the property in future, uh, helping them acquire wealth or giving the option for them in future for their children to subdivide, give that second property to their children in the future once the child's grown up and so forth. That's the other thing I look at. Third thing I look at is, is there any issues with the property itself? Is there any easements? Is there any um, you know stormwater um, issues, sewerage issues, um, future development? Is there future road? You know, If it's close to a freeway or motorway, um, I've seen people buy property and a few years later, um, there's a big motorway going in their backyard or close to their rear fence. So stuff like that is what a buyer's agent should look out for. And it's little things that would surprise you that you miss. And you've got to remember, Michael, this is a once in a lifetime purchase for some people will stay in this property for the rest of their life. So it's not a, a car that you know you can buy and sell at any time. Sometimes it's hard to sell a property. Sometimes you can't sell a property because you're locked in uh, and so forth. And that's what I look for, an all-around home to suit the client's needs. The more information the client gives me, the more I can work with. And I'll also uh, come back to the client with all the negative things about the property. So I will give them the list 
of everything. It doesn't bother me whether the client wants to buy the property or not. That's entirely up to them. But I'll do the full background and present it to them and say, this is what it is. The next thing as a buyer's agent will do is they have a network of solicitors and conveyances. I'm finding a lot of buyers do not have solicitors or conveyances that they know, believe it or not. Um, and some of them go to the wrong solicitor or conveyancer. I've had one instance where a client really wanted to use an interstate conveyancer, um, which I was completely against and told them and warned them. However, they insisted because it was a family friend and they had relocated from another state. They wanted to keep using their solicitor that that was recommended or conveyed. So, so I said to him, that's fine, go for it. The issue we found there, Michael, was the solicitor there did a terrible job. The client had put a $25,000 deposit, unconditional. The client was on the verge of losing the property because they needed a finance extension. However, the selling party solicitor did not want to allow that based on their kind of argument that there was between the two parties and said, look, we don't want anything to do with this guy. I was then able to discuss with the uh, selling party solicitor and the client and say, look, the issue here is the buyer's solicitor, not the client, not the seller, not the seller's solicitor. I was able to then convince the client to actually go with a local solicitor who I've worked with, does a great job. And as a buyer's agent, we got a whole network of different solicitors, different conveyances, different uh, mortgage brokers, um, people that work in the banking, uh, and so forth. So I was able to say to the client, if you want this property, if you don't want to lose your 25000 trust me on this, I would recommend you going with this conveyancer, give it a shot, I'll speak to the selling party. If they're happy to honor it, we can then ask for an, uh, you know, a longer settlement to save your 25000 save the property, and you can go ahead with the purchase. The client agreed, the selling party agreed, the selling party solicitor agreed, we were able to keep the deal going. Believe it or not, we'd gone to that to that uh, solicitor on a Thursday afternoon, 4.30 p.m. The settlement was for Tuesday morning. That I spoke to, I think, three different solicitors. Two of them said to me, it's going to be very hard and they didn't want to risk taking it on at such short notice. The third one said they would be happy to, to do it and they're confident they'll be able to get it over the line. I then went to the, to the selling solicitor's um, party and I said to him, do you mind honoring a few days extra in case we don't get the settlement for the Tuesday. The selling party solicitor agreed. We managed to, believe it or not, get the sale completed on the day, costing the client no additional interest or fees for the delay of the settlement. Wow. So it's essentially, it's because a lot of people that haven't bought a house before would not realize that it's not just signing on the dotted line. It's everything else that happens after that, the transaction side of things. And especially when you're buying a house at a good price or in a market where property is moving pretty quick, there is room, I guess, and there is opportunity as well for someone to lose a house, you know, to, to essentially have a contract on a house. And then next minute, the seller gets a, a better offer, for example, or, or something else happens and there goes the contract. Because, you know, because you've mentioned knowledge, you've mentioned the experience that a buyer's agent brings to the purchase of a house. Um, something else that I've noticed in the past uh, with clients is the time saving, you know, like for a client to go out and do research themselves and, you know, assuming they make no most, no mistakes at all, for, for somebody to go out and do all this themselves, it takes a lot of time. And a lot of people, to a lot of people, if not everybody, time is a very, very rare commodity. Um, it's one of those things that not many people have, especially if somebody does work nine to five or, or has a business that they're in most of the day. You know, it's not that easy for them to take time out of their week 
to do the research, to, to look at particular things and to, to make informed decisions, you know? So um, I really see the value of them. And, and the last thing is as well, and if you can sort of shed some light on this benefit, because this is something again, that I've noticed in the past. And to me, this is probably one of the biggest benefits of using a buyer's agent, but the negotiating side of things and bidding on a house, because again, for somebody that's never done it before or for somebody that's done it once or twice, I highly doubt that they would do a better job than somebody that's done it hundreds of times. I'd have to agree with you on that, Michael, 100%. So, for example, as a buyer's agent, you are the representative of that client. So, like you said, most clients are working a nine-to-five job um, and they don't have the time to do the research and the data and, and, and whatnot. So, we are on the road. Um, we are driving day in, day out uh, to various suburbs, uh, cities. Uh, we fly in and out. You know, I've got access to you know, thousands of property at any one time nationally. Uh, but being a local person who's born um, in Queensland um, and have sold, built home throughout Queensland over the years, um, I've got that experience where I personally can pass it on to the client and tell them, look, uh, here's the pros and cons. This is the advantage going with a buyer's agent as opposed to, um, you know, going direct to an agent yourself, which is coming down to what you just said, 100% is negotiating. So what I find is um, with a buyer's agent, yes, you might be paying a buyer's agent a fee to do the service. However, they're saving you money. At the end of the day, uh, we negotiate. Um, we get get the deal done. Um, we, you know, I've done stuff just so you know, Michael, with clients that are interstate that are looking to relocate in the next six months or nine months or, or so forth. And I'll actually go out um, and do a video call with that client on their lunch break while they're in, um, you know, Sydney or Melbourne or in another city, uh, and they'll turn around and say, "Okay, cool. Can we go through have a look through the house?" And I'll do like a, a video call, and you know, this may happen multiple times. So, for example, I had um, uh, one gentleman uh, from Sydney. He was a doctor and spoke to me on his lunch break. Uh, I did a walkthrough video call with him um, on the north side of Brisbane. Uh, he said to me, look, I really love the place and everything and thank you very much for it. Um, however, are you going to be back in the area uh, anytime soon? I said, look, I'll be there again in a couple of days because I'm always in and out of different suburbs. He said, do you mind when you're there next just to um, call my wife and do the same video call that you did uh, with me? Now I said to him, oh, I would wish you told me I would have actually recorded the um, the video call, but that's fine. And I went out the second time and um, he was happy and uh, signed the contract. Uh, a few days later, he said to me, look, if you're ever in the area again, give me a call. Uh, he wanted to show his son and daughter uh, their new home. So I said, no worries. Um, so I actually was heading up uh, to another property and thought, look, I'll go half an hour early, go through, show them a third video, and then head back to my work. So that was another advantage. So I think having a buyer's agent there, um, you've got another set of eyes, and they're out there doing a great job, uh, doing all the hard work for the client. And the client's got the peace of mind knowing that uh, they're getting the best value for money, property in that region or suburb at that time. And like you said, uh, I've negotiated tens of thousands of dollars in savings for um, clients, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars now, um, you know, for my clients. So what I try and do with my clients is try and get them a bit of equity. So I'll try and... Um, you know, for example, if they're doing a house and land package, I'll 
um, work with the developer because I've got relationships with developers nationally. So I'll say to them, look, this is one of my clients. I'm doing a bit of volume with you guys. Can we please get some discounts on these pro uh, properties that we're doing a few of? And, you know, that could be savings of, you know, five ten thousand $10,000 just in land value. And then the construction side could be five ten thousand. 10000 Same thing happening with um, a client of mine that was um, – interstate engineer he was relocating to queensland and said to me um, he had a particular region he wanted to be in and said to me look uh, my budget's up to eight hundred thousand uh, i found the property that was worth eight hundred thousand plus i would say it's close to a mill it was actually a double block which meant you could subdivide the block and build a second house uh, i was able to get that property for the client for seven hundred thousand dollars so $100,000 below his budget and probably about $300,000 below the market value. So that client um, said this is perfect. Uh, him and his wife spoke about it. They purchased the property, pushed the house to the one side, so they kept the same house, put a fence down the middle, sold the uh, block off next door for $450,000, giving them the uh, the second property, which they currently live in, um, costing them uh, $250,000. So that property is probably worth five fifty now. So, you know, it shows you the amount of um, you know, opportunities and work a buyer's agent can do for their client, uh, and the profit that their clients end up making and ripping the rewards. By doing that you get repeat business. Uh, I was then able to get that client on to buy a self-managed super fund property, which he's now purchased, and he's getting about a 7% rental yield. That property's also gone up about $80,000 in the last 12 months. I was then able to sell his son a uh, second um, property as well as an investment. His son's also receiving about 6.8% rental yields. He's also made about $45,000 in the last 12 months. So that's the kind of stuff that a buyer's agent has the capacity to, to do. All you need to do is put your trust in your buyer's agent and make sure you're working with a reputable buyer's agent who is familiar with the local area. I'm seeing a lot of buyer's agents that are not necessarily from the local area. Some of them do a great job. However, there are some of them in it that, like you said earlier on, Michael, are just salespeople. They're out looking out for making a sale rather than making money or saving money for their clients. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. Yep, and, and also when, when we talk about negotiation as well, something that comes to mind straight away for me is emotion. And, you know, as for anyone buying anything, whether it's a car or a house or even a piece of clothing, right? There's there's this emotional attachment. For example, if someone someone sees a shirt they really like, there's an emotional attachment. Yes, I really like the shirt. I want to buy this shirt. Um, and which isn't too much of an issue because if a shirt's 50 or or $100. But when we're talking a car or even bigger, like a house, for example, sometimes that emotional attachment can sometimes cloud somebody's judgment. So I feel also having a buyer's agent is a way to ensure that you know why while you have to like the house you're buying you know a buyer's agent can stop somebody's emotional attachment or emotions getting in the way of getting them a good deal you know or, or avoiding them from paying you know or, or you know or ensuring that they don't pay too much for a house as well i agree 100 percent. so for example there um a buyer's agent spot on will take the emotion out of the property because what what you'll see 
Michael, is if someone's not familiar with um, the current market or what's going on in the area or what something is worth, um, you're 100% right. They're blinded by the by the emotion side of the purchase, which is completely wrong. Um, you should never be buying a property um, based on the emotion. You should be buying it based on uh, your needs and requirements and obviously getting the best value for money on your investment. Uh, it's not a it's not a small purchase. It is hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, sometimes millions of dollars that um, a person is paying for this property, and you really get one shot at it. You know, I know some clients that are, are buying properties that plan to be there for the rest of their life, which is you know could be thirty, forty, fifty years, for example. So uh, you need to take the emotion out. I know it's very hard because even myself, when I bought my first home, I was very emotionally attached uh, to the property, and I wasn't doing enough. Um, research and background uh, and all, all the rest. However, I was lucky enough that my father, um, who's been building in Queensland since 1970, so he actually passed on his knowledge and went over it all. And that's where I learned a lot of it from. So getting the experience from a uh, from a builder, uh, you see what things cost. And then working in construction, you actually work it all out. So you can see just by looking at a property, if you've got that construction background, what it's worth, what it's worth to pay for. Do a bit of research and have a look at, you know, neighbouring properties, adjoining properties, um, and what sales what what sales have uh, been recently done in in the local area. Uh, also, other things that buyers agents uh, do, like myself, is infrastructure. You know, what's going on in the area? What's happening in the area? Are we having, um, you know, a new train station going in, busway, new shopping centre, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so educating the client on uh, what's up and coming, and also the pros and cons. So Definitely have to agree with you on that, 100%. Get your emotions out, trust a buyer's agent, and go from there. You could, Look, even just sometimes you'll see a rundown house, um, you know, that, you know, I've had an elderly lady who, you know, lived on her own, didn't have much time to, to, to do much with the house. So it pretty much just sat there and, you know, just needed a coat of paint. However, it was a, it was a nice home, uh, old Queenslander it was, all hardwood and all the rest. And, and I had a client that particularly wanted a um, you know an old Queenslander home. Now uh, the lady said, "Look, it needs a lot of money spent on it." However, uh, we worked it out. I was able to get it all priced up to get new paint, a bit of a reno, new kitchen, new bathroom, and so forth. Uh, my client was happy to come on board. He purchased that property for eight hundred thousand. The seller was was stoked and happy because she was happy with six fifty to seven hundred. However, that house was worth a million dollars. He was able to get the bathrooms uh, and the paint and everything all done within a hundred thousand dollars, saving him a hundred thousand dollars in total. Uh, which he said, "Look, I'm happy." The seller was happy because she was going to retirement home. So that's where you're taking the emotion out. My client was stuck on paying uh, 1.1 to 1.2 originally for a completed house. I said to him, well, why should we do that? We've just saved you $100,000 here. You've got a beautiful brand new house. This is now worth the same value as what you were going to pay for a 1.1 or $1.2 million home, which he was happy about as well. Yeah. And also when it comes to buying houses, can you brief it? You've mentioned several already, but can you can you outline some of the things that somebody should look for when buying a house? So first of all, if we can focus on buying a, a family home, the things to look out for um, and things to avoid probably. Um, and also from an inv- for an investment property, things to look out for and things to avoid as well. Because again, emotion always comes into it when looking at these things, if somebody's doing it by themselves, because they'll normally buy a house in the area that they know or the area that their parents have lived in or the area that they've always lived in, but they normally won't look at much more than that. It's, what I've found anyway. So with, uh, I've found that clients usually will prefer to 
live or buy and live in a in a, in a suburb which they're familiar with, uh, whether it's somewhere they went to school or their partner went to school or their family friend lived there or they grew up in that region or, and so forth. Uh, the things I, I tell my clients to look for in, in a house is, um, number one, the structure. So, you know, simple things that, you know, when you're looking through an existing house is, you know, do you see any cracks? Um, so you might see, if you look through the brickwork and stuff like that, you might see some cracks. So it's got some movement there. You might see cracks uh, through driveways, uh, uh, alfresco patio areas. Uh, that's the first thing to look for. That that's what That's the most that you can pretty much do you know, visually looking at a house. Uh, a lot of things happen behind uh, the scenes where it, you, you could not uh, physically see. Like, for example, uh, if there's termite damage, uh, you know, if the house has been patched up, you know, if there was uh, renovations done by a home handyman, however, it wasn't approved uh, by the council or up to Australian standards. Um, so this is where I, I, I recommend all clients to get a building inspector. Uh, building inspector usually find is most of the time an ex-builder or an engineer or someone in the industry of construction. Uh, they've got the basic knowledge uh, to walk through a house and have a look for little things that you miss. You know, um, For example, they've got devices now um, where they can you know, look through walls and stuff like that with cameras and so forth. They jump in manholes where you know there could be snakes and stuff like that in the manhole, so it's not something I'd recommend uh, clients to be doing. Uh, so that that's the next step that I would say. Um, see what you can see visually, get a building inspector. And the third thing would be a uh, termite inspector. So get someone to go around checking, is there termites or has there been termites in uh, that property before? Now. For most people, it's hard to actually find if you're uh, a purchase a client purchasing a property. However, with a termite, um, someone that specialises in it, there are things they do where they'll look at, for example, surrounding trees of the property. They'll look at at the fence around the property. You know, little things like that. Uh, the other thing they'll look at is has there been any rot in the property where you know water or moisture, and it's usually done between the building inspector and the termite inspector, where they'll actually check through the timber and make sure there hasn't been any rot. Now that could be nothing to do with termite. It could be you know where there was a roof that was leaking um, water many years ago and it's damaged the timber. So things like that is one thing to look at. Um, another thing you can do is speak to the council or even go on the council website. Sometimes the council will mention uh, any additional uh, upgrades a house has uh, had if it's done through the council. So it might say, you know, 1985, this house was constructed and in 1999, uh, they applied for a carport at the front and then, you know, 2003, they applied for an alfresco or patio area at the rear um, and then 2008, a pool was put in. So you, you can then gauge little things like when the house was constructed, um, what work has been done and is it all um, up to date on the council website. Uh, some builders and home reno um, handyman guys will actually not put everything on there. So you might not find little things like bathroom renovations and kitchen renovation. Uh, however, you can ask the client, you know, has anyone worked on the house since you've owned it um, or ask the, the selling agent to ask. They might give you the contact details of the person who did that renovation then what you can do is go on to the uh, governing body, Queensland would be QBCC or HIA, and you'd go in there and see and do a background check on that particular builder or carpenter uh, that did the renovation on that property, making sure they've got a good history 
um, of workmanship. So you don't want someone that uh, you, you go and look at and they've built an alfresco for you. And then when you go on the website, you know, they've had their license suspended because they did the wrong thing by a client or they had a patio fall on someone's roof. Uh, off their roof onto someone or something like that. So these are little things that you got to look for as well um, when going in, into detail with a um, an existing home. The problem is a lot of people think, oh, it's going too far and all that. But no, it's not. You're putting hundreds of thousands of dollars here. Um, you're, you're going all in. So you don't want to go all in with any risk on you as the buyer. You want to make sure you've covered everything off and then you, you, you assess it then and there. Not saying that sometimes a patio or an alfresco um, or you know a carport might not be on the on the council website and you can see it's freshly done. You can then also get a building certifier or an engineer to just check it, make sure it's up to Australian standards, and you can get that done yourself by a private certifier. So don't always get turned off either by a house that's had uh, work done on it if it's not registered. Um, still go ahead with it. However, this could be your way, and I've done it in the past, to negotiate a better price based on the issue with that property not having the builder um, registering the, the carport. You can then go with the certifier, register the carport, go to the Brisbane City Council and say, here's a certificate, can I register this house with the carport? Your house is then up to um, Australian standards again. That's for an existing house. For a new home, the things that you want to look for is, um, if you're buying it as an owner-occupier, is what do you want in the property? How many bedrooms do you want? What's the minimum size you want? Do you want a pool in the future? Um, what colors do you like, your preferences? Um, you know, do you want a tiled roof? Do you want a colorblind roof? Do you want the external house brick or render? Um, do you want a um, frontage with a narrow narrow type block? Do you want something which is a bit wider at the front? Uh, do you want something with the yard and so forth? So the list goes on. Uh, what I suggest there is you really got to speak to someone who's a new property guru that will actually sit there, study what you're looking for, go out and look for it and work with you on the design to suit your requirements and obviously keeping in mind the budget. That's if you're buying it as a new home that you're looking to build with your own design and, and completed finishes. If you're looking at it from an invest investment perspective, you want something that's going to give you uh, the peace of mind. So things you want to look at is your your warranties um, on everything, the reputation of the builder that you, you're working with. Uh, the other thing you want to look at is rental appraisals with the property manager, making sure you've ticked all the boxes for everything before you sign anything, making sure that uh, the property manager's on board, making sure the builder's ready to go and you know can take on the workmanship. He's not going to delay it by six months. Um, and keeping in mind that the um, overall property works within your budget by liaising with your mortgage broker or banker or financial planner during this period to make sure that it's going to work and stack up for what you need. If you're buying it as a self-managed super fund, you need to specify that to the buyer's agent um, straight away because a self-managed super fund property has to be set up as a single contract property, which means the builder has to purchase the property in his name, pay the stamp duty for it, build the house and hold the, the interest and the repayments of that property and then hands it over to you when it's finished. So there are additional fees. So if you were to contact someone for a house and land package for 500000 and then you turned around and wanted it as a self-managed super fund, it could be five twenty to five thirty, depending on 
you know, the current market and the, the material cost and everything else, as well as the interest rate. So that gives you an idea of the self-managed super funds. Also, if you're buying it as an investment and you want a property to have a good return on investment, you want to try and minimize your stamp duty. By doing that, you do what we call a two-part contract. You purchase the land on its own, and then you get the build done separate. By doing that, you're engaging with the developer direct uh, through the buyer's agent. So you will negotiate the price, which you could save five, ten thousand dollars on the purchase price of the land. Let's say the land value was, you know, three hundred thousand dollars. You've spoken to the, the, the developer with your buyer's agent. You've got it down to two ninety. The advantage there is your stamp duty is now paid on the 290 firstly. Secondly, if you were to purchase that same property as a single contract for, say, $600,000, you are paying stamp duty on six hundred. So you're saving thousands of dollars by purchasing it as a land, vacant block of land, then doing the build. The other advantage is you can pick and choose what inclusions you want to suit your tenants. What's important? Do you want fly screens? Do you want security screens? Do you want air conditioning? Stuff like that can all be packaged up and catered to suit your new investment property. Wow. So the more the more you talk about this, the more I just think about as a financial advisor, for example, when I talk to clients about advice and when I explain to them the cost of advice, I always talk about the benefits. And you know, one of my main priorities when I first talk to a client is making sure that the the benefit outweighs the cost. And from what I can understand, as a buyer's agent, um, or call it a property expert, for example, as well, whether you're acting as one or the other, the, the, there's two sides to the benefit. Like the first side I can see is someone potentially saving money or making money, um, and that's one side. And the other side is probably the peace of mind, less stress saving time, you know, and saving money, if I haven't mentioned that already. So it's, yeah, it's it's becoming more apparent to me that it is worth contacting someone like yourself. And um, and, and if Mimo, if somebody wanted to contact you um, after listening to this podcast, what would you say the best way for them to do that is? So I would say the best way to contact me would be on my uh, direct mobile number. That's the easiest, 0449087599. Uh, alternatively, you know, I could be in a meeting with a client. Uh, if I don't answer, just send me a text message or an SMS. Uh, or the third option is obviously sending an email to me directly, memo at tamerproperty.com. Uh, the advantage of doing that is um, obviously I've got it all there on the record. So even if I'm with a client, um, and you know, got back-to-back meetings on my lunch break. I'll go through and have a look at my emails that have come through. When I do that, I can straight away work out which client um, has come through, what they're looking for, and top of my head, think of multiple property options for them. So even though I haven't contacted the client uh, on the day, I've still got a background on what the client wants, what their budget is, and so forth. I'll then contact the client and make an appointment and run it, run the numbers through them and see if we can make it work. And most of the time. I haven't uh, had any issues. The clients go through and it works and stacks up for what they want. However, what I do recommend clients to do, Michael, and I've found in the past it works very well, the more information, the better. So firstly, specify um, your budget. Specify are you pre-approved or finance approved or have you been recently pre-approved or finance approved? Um, Thirdly, do you have any uh, finance issues? So I know that I've had clients with um, pre-approvals and whatnot. They'll go to get the unconditional. Uh, they'll find out they had a credit card or something like that, which they need to close off, which they weren't aware of. And it happens so many times, believe it or not, a lot of clients um, 
you know, said, I'm in a good financial position, ready to go. And then when they go to see their financial planner, mortgage broker or, or bank, they'll come back to me and say to me, unfortunately, I wasn't aware of this, this, this. However, I've got an issue with this, this, this happening because of my credit card. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's resolve this issue and come back to me as quick as you can. No, it's a fantastic advice. And again, I've learned a bit today and I'm hoping whoever has listened to this has learned a lot as well. Uh, whether they're buying their first, second, third, fifth, or 10th house. One last thing is with all my episodes, I like to finish off with a dad joke. Um, so I hope you're ready. If houses wore clothes, what would they wear? A three-piece suit. A dress. A dress, huh? Okay, nice. A dress. Get it? A dress. A dress. A dress. A dress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually yeah, a good yeah, yeah. one. I never thought of it like that. But every house has a yeah, dress, absolutely. literally. <laughs> That's a good one, Michael. I like that. I might start that in my next marketing campaign with my next clients that come through. Right, why not? You are free to use it in any way that you want, I promise. Thank you so much for your time, Nemo. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. And I hope uh, yourself and your clients uh, benefit from this video. Uh, hopefully. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Sharing More Than The Sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases. And feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.